Good morning, West Bowles. This morning, we're continuing our summer series on spiritual discipline, something we're calling swimming in the deep end. This morning's discipline is keeping the Sabbath. It's one that tends to suffer a lot from our overcrowded and busy schedules. And yet, Sabbath is a crucial time for us to spend alone with God. Our speaker this morning is our very own Craig Nason. Craig literally grew up in our church and now presently serves as director of our young adult Acacia group and our praise and worship coordinator. I so appreciated Craig's humble spirit when I asked him to share with us this morning. He told me the reason why he wanted to teach on Sabbath specifically was because he wanted to work on that and incorporate it more into his own walk before the Lord. And so I know Craig was a hungry student as he prepared for today's message, and we're about to be very, very blessed by the insights God gave him. So would you please put your hands together and welcome with me our very own Craig Nason, as together we go swimming in the deep end. Um, I guess we're doing that before because you're probably not going to want to clap afterwards. Um, I'm excited to be there. I, I guess, did Todd take changes of clothes? Because I was trying to figure out, he, he jumps in every time on the video. I, I don't get how they did that. Or did they use the same clip? Maybe John did a little editing. Oh, sneaky. Todd's always doing shortcuts and stuff. Well, excited to be with you this morning here, uh, second service, talking Sabbath. How's everyone doing? Everyone's doing good. Great. You know, when I get up to teach, uh, I have to remember the first time I was ever on the stage to do anything of any significance. Uh, I think it was the first year we had this building, and maybe a few people remember this. John, do you remember this story? I shared it last service. George was preaching, and you had this big fish as a, a visual that came down out of the rafters, this giant swordfish. I don't even know what it was for, but we did, it. We, we did a skit before, and I got invited to be a part of the skit. My wife, Cassie, played Princess Leia, and I think I was Han Solo. Um, first time on this stage. So we walked out, and uh, sure enough, I, I'm kind of a klutz. Uh, and I, um, so is my second daughter, unfortunately. She got that gene. I walked straight into this uh, swordfish tip. And everybody, everybody out here thought it was part of the, the sketch, you know, and I was like bleeding and, and the whole thing. I don't remember much after that, but that was my first time on the stage. So I always think it can't go any worse than that. Um, so here we are to talk about Sabbath. Uh, I was remembering in my mind, uh, as I got ready, a story from Peru. And a lot of you know we spend a good amount of time in Peru and in Mexico. We've had a relationship down in, in Lima for years. And uh, one of the things we've done the last few years is we've had a... Uh, uh, we've done sort of a VBS-type program with the kids there in the uh, urban areas in Lima, really the, the slum kids. And it's a, it's a lot of work. Uh, it ends up being anywhere between uh, 150 to 200 kids um, and about 20 of us. Uh, that's the ratio. And these are kids that aren't necessarily used to structure. A lot of them don't have uh, stable families. There's a lot of uh, parents using drugs and prostitution, you name it. It's a rough area. Um, and so we work hard. Uh, we put in a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of planning. And day after day, we uh, kind of do this program. Uh, and this year, we were there on our last day. And all the work was done. We were through. There wasn't any more on our schedule to do. There weren't any more crafts. There weren't any more lessons. There weren't any more skits. We were done. And we were kind of having a little celebration with the kids hanging out. 
and uh, Pastor Ebert found some friend of his, some ex-con that was now in a mariachi band that wanted to play music for the kids. And uh, hey, we thought it was a great idea. Um, just to give you a picture, I brought one picture of, this is kind of the scene. There's John Steinhoff in the middle, surrounded by these kids. Uh, this is kind of the feel of the last day. And uh, kids hanging off you, kids who hadn't bathed in, it seemed like, weeks, that all they wanted to do was smile and, and hug you and, and know that they were loved, honestly. And uh, somewhere in the middle of that moment, in the smells and the celebrations, there was a holy moment where God was there. And you could really feel God's spirit. And you've probably had these kind of moments. We're going to talk about them. A moment where God is just uniquely there with you. And I had that moment with kids hanging off me and the whole thing. And unique to the idea of Sabbath because there we were, all of the work. We had done all of God's work all week, and it was the point where we had, were resting from the work. And we completed that important work that we had come to do, that God was there in a unique and special way. And, and that's Sabbath. That's the idea of stepping out of the ordinary rhythm of, of work and the to-dos and routine and seeing God as over and above time. God, you are in control, not me. I'm not the one that creates. I'm not the one that uh, will cause change. You are. Um, and I should never forget that. So we're going to talk about Sabbath quite a bit this morning. I share a lot of stories. If you haven't heard me teach before, we're going to go through a lot of scriptures. There's a lot we're going to be up to together. So before we get into that, I wanted to just tell you a little bit about my, I guess, my approach to spiritual disciplines. Todd kind of hinted at it. But I think at times we can get intimidated, right? This idea of spiritual discipline. And sometimes we feel that maybe we have to study all the ideas of uh, you know, prayer and, and Sabbath and read books and understand all the rules of the game and maybe we need to go get a degree or all these things to understand what it, what it means um, before we actually practice it. And I have a little bit of a, a different approach. Um, our son, Elijah, many of you know Elijah, he's seven years old and this summer we signed him up for swim team because he loves the water, he's a fish. But uh, we knew it was going to be a little different than just going to the pool. He loves to swim, um, but he'd never been on a swim team. So we, sh we showed up that first day, and uh, Elijah hopped in the pool, and we were a little nervous as parents, you know, because it's age 6 to 18, and it's all these older kids. And sure enough, the first day, the coach was like, you know, get in, 100, 100 IM, and all the strokes, and Elijah doesn't know anything. He doesn't know what it means. He just hops in the water, and he's kind of just cruising around, and... Um, the coach is kind of putting stuff in his ear. No, get going, man. Do your backstroke. Do your uh, butterfly. Okay, get your hands. And, and uh, we were thinking on the first day, there's no way this is going to work out because it's just it's too much for him. He, and he's in the pool, and he needs, he needs a, some coursework in a classroom to understand all this before he does it. But to our surprise, um, Elijah, within a week or two, he'd really picked up a lot of it. Now, he's no Michael Phelps. He may be. In our eyes, he is. Um, <laughs> But uh, he'd really picked up a lot of the strokes, and we were amazed. Uh, he, he could do all the four basic strokes, and he's still learning. There's a lot of technique that's not there, but the coach is alongside him, giving him, shouting out directions, and he's learning. And I think this is the idea of, do, do we need, would it have been better for the coach for the first week to just sit them down and draw pictures of the stroke on a, on a marker board and show videos? And that wasn't their method. Their method was get in the pool, you know how to stay afloat and just get swimming, and we're going we're gonna to get it as we go. And in a lot of ways, that's my uh, approach. There's Elijah. That's, that's my approach to um, before you could swim, apparently. He's held on to the edge. Um, my approach to spiritual disciplines is that. Uh, sometimes we just need to get in the water. And uh, we learn. We need instruction as we go. But we need to just hop in the pool at times and um, get going. 
So as Todd suggested, I'm, I'm coming this morning not, not as an expert of Sabbath, but as a fellow traveler. Um, it's something I believe in deeply, the idea of Sabbath, but I'm still learning the stroke. I'm still in an in infant stage, I would say, but I'm trying to get in the pool, and I hope that'll be encouraging to you in some way. So we're going to cover a lot, and let me just throw out a few of the questions that I'm going to, a few questions that I'm going to have you thinking about as we go through, and a, a few suggestions too. So here's some questions just to be thinking about as we go. First, how do you react to this picture of Sabbath command and practice that is seen in the scriptures? All right, we're going to go, we're going to really spend some time in the scriptures, and we're going to key in on some verses. What's the picture you get? How do you react to it of Sabbath in, in, in the Bible? Secondly, we're going to ask the question, what is, what is your relationship to time? Okay, a lot of this is about time. How do we view time? How do we manage time? How do we consume time? What's your relationship to time look like? That's something I want you to be asking as we go. And third, we really want to get practical here, right? So we're going to be asking, what are some concrete steps that each of us could make to move towards a genuine, meaningful observance of Sabbath that's not just simply out of rule or obligation, but something that we sincerely want to do. So there's a few questions, and here's a few suggestions I'm going to make along, along the road here too, all right? One is that Sabbath has a rich history in the scriptures. Sabbath has a rich history in the scriptures, and it ties closely to God's heart. We're going to see again and again, the more I open up God's word, how valuable Sabbath is to him, how much it means to him. Um, secondly, Sabbath calls us to take that deep look at our relationship to time. I've already suggested that. We're going to be looking at it in depth. Um, uh, next, Sabbath practice is meant to be a joy, not a burden. All right? We're, we're not talking about something that is simply just obligating us. And the last thing, and maybe the most important, we're, we're going to say that Sabbath is still relevant and significant for us as Christ followers. Um, if we can reimagine what it can mean for us in our own personal context. Okay? So if I'm successful on any level, on any level, I'm going to encourage you to go beyond just our time here. I'm going to encourage you to go beyond just an understanding up here and, and, and imagine what practice might look like. All right, we're going to hop right into some scriptures. We all ready? We're going to move. Um, all right, the first question we really want to ask is, what does God's word reveal to us that, that clues us in to Sabbath, okay? Those words Sabbath, where does it come from? Sabbath. It's uh, from the Hebrew word Shabbat. Many of you have heard Shabbat, the practice of Shabbat in Judaism, meaning to cease, to desist. And the first time we hear this word um, is in the creation account, which is going to kind of be our launching point out of, out of the word. So we're going to go to Genesis 2, and we're just going to read the end of this creation account and what God says. Follow along with me as I read. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So there's a few significant things here just in this little piece of Genesis we get. One is the mention of this word holy, okay? God, God blessed the day and made it holy. Now we hear that word a lot in the Bible, right? But what's significant here is this is the first time we hear that word in the scriptures. Kadosh, holy. God, God is establishing something significant here, the holiness of the time of Sabbath. It's the first time we hear that word, so we should pay attention. Secondly, God's, God's inaugurating. He's, he's beginning a, a divine rhythm, we could say. Uh, he, he, the creation in six days, how, however you view that, and, and rest in the seventh day. He's creating a divine rhythm. And that in, in itself is worth noting. Um, it's something great that God did, but we're going to see that it goes beyond that. 
Um, Lauren Winter says that God could have had a great day of rest by himself, but God shortly invited us to participate in Sabbath rest with him into that holy time because that is his nature, God with us. You know, that's a theme I pick out again and again and again. We have the God who is not the God that stays far off and away from us, but he's the God who enters into relationship with us again and again with his people and with us now. And so we see that even in Sabbath. He's, he's entering into a relationship. His divine rest, he's inviting us into that. And how unbelievable is that? So we're going to move into Exodus. I know we spent a lot of time there, but we're going back. Exodus 16, um, Israel in the desert. And, and we're going there because this is the first instance we get of Sabbath uh, practice. And Israel's in the desert. And what happens in, in the desert, right? God's people have been uh, delivered, redeemed from Pharaoh and are they excited? Are they happy? You know, pretty quick, they're like, this is lame, it's too hot, the food stinks, like all this, right? Really quickly, kind of like forgot the whole thing with Pharaoh and uh, redemption and the whole thing, you know? Not anything like us today. We never forget. Um, Israel's in the desert, and uh, God, has, he hears them complaining. And so God blesses them. He rains down this bread, manna from heaven. And we read how he has some direction in terms of how they're to treat this bread, this gift of God. And I'm going to read this whole passage because, like I said, this is the first instance we have in Scripture of, of Sabbath practice. So we'll read through it, starting in verse 21. It says, Each morning, we're in the desert, everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers, my favorite unit of measurement, the omer, uh, for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord, right? Echoing that creation story. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever's left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Two great qualities of great bread. <laughs> Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Right? What's happening? There's not going to be any bread to pick off the ground on Sabbath. So you have to get twice as much ahead of the Sabbath so that you can really rest then. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. And they said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands? Um, the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath, given you. It's a gift. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Uh, Walter Brueggemann is one of my favorite. He's a little bit deep, but for Old Testament stuff, in terms of um, a thinker, scholar, says this about this scene in Exodus 16. He says, Sabbath here in Exodus 16 is, is observed in order to acknowledge that the sustaining gift and presence of the Creator are operative even in the wilderness that seemed beyond God's blessing of life. So what's the significance here? Any practice of Sabbath is a remembrance of the true provider. God is the true provider. We're we're declining. We're saying no to the narrative of of, of self-autonomy, of self-actualization. What do I mean by that? The storyline that says, I I am, by my hard work alone, do 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 I provide for myself. It's me. It's by my work. Seven days a week. I do it. No, God is saying, that's not the reality. The reality is I am the true provider. It's a tempting storyline for us to think it's by our own work that success comes and to not attribute any of our provision to God. 
We must remember this again and again. That's going to be a theme of Sabbath here. And, and you know what? That's a, that's a tricky thing. You know, we live in a time of, of real uncertainty, don't we? Fear and uh, unemployment and the economy and, and all these kinds of things can consume us. Uh, the girls sang this song, right? The desert song, that God is often most present in the desert. Are we still willing to trust in our seasons of desert that God is a provider? It's a big part of Sabbath. I'm going to come back to that. Let's move ahead, though. We uh, get to uh, a place where Sabbath is, comes in as a command. We see it in two places, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 6, uh, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 5. We're going to read the Deuteronomy version. They're very similar. There's just a little bit, little bit of a twist in the Deuteronomy version. Um, but we're going to read that. Here we have now, we've seen it played out among the people. Now we're going to hear it as a command, right? So let's hear the actual command. It's one of those longer ones. It's like five verses. Starting in verse 12 of chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, your son, your daughter, your manservant, maidservant, ox, donkey, animals, alien within the gates, manservant, maidservant. Everybody may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves, this key. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So a lot going on in this command. Um, a lot going on, but a few things we'll point out. One, one thing that stands out to me is the inclusion of all people. Now, our, our, our uh, homes may look a little bit different than the farm here with the manservant, maidservant. You might not own a donkey. We do, but you don't. Um, but what, what's going on here? It's the inclusion of all people. And in fact, all of God's creation, right? It's echoing this creation story again. We're called into this kind of rest. It's not just for the privileged or the rich or the religiously significant or the, you know, it's for everybody to come into. We are all invited into Sabbath, right? Second, what happened in verse 15? Remember, remember, remember. That was a little brother Bob right there. I know it wasn't as good. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, that the Lord your God brought you out. What, what are we saying here? Where, where have God's people just been? In slavery, in bondage, in a place where rest was not possible. They were, they were bound to work. And now God's saying, I freed you, and you can enjoy the rest of not being a slave, and you can enjoy the rest of a Sabbath. Remember. So Sabbath is a place where we stop and remember the places that God was with us in the past. What has he done in your past? How do you remember that? You know, much of my faith is I'm able to point to these moments, right? I shared with you Peru. That's a moment where I felt God deeply. Sometimes we only have a few moments like that. I was reading somebody saying the idea that oh, Christianity is like, it's just like the best drug, you know, because I'm on like a constant high and it's not real drugs. And um, I understand the sentiment going on there. But I think in reality, we all know that we don't always feel our faith, right? It's not always right here. I've always said, at least not for me. If it is for you, God bless you. And I'm jealous. Um, so what must we do then? Well, we have to remember the moments where God seemed close and with us. That's what God was calling his people to do. We have to do the same. So I have these moments that I return to post-Columbine, how God was with us, um, my wedding day, the birth of all my kids, but particularly the birth of my, my, my first son, um, uh, a sunrise at Machu Picchu where I just beheld the glory of God's creation, literally, and felt it. The faces and the touch of kids in the Lima slums just 
showing me God's love, like right there. Um, there are these moments that we're called to remember again and again. So as we keep going through scripture, Sabbath practice is going to evolve a bit, and we could cover a lot of ground, but I don't have time to cover it all, but just a few quick mentions of places you could go and look at on your own where Sabbath is mentioned. Exodus 31, again, they complete the building of the tabernacle. And after the creation of the tabernacle, they're called to Sabbath rest. After the creation, called to rest. See that? See that rhythm? Um, and then there's an association with Sabbath and justice. God's justice, again and again in the scriptures. If you, if you read Leviticus 25, there's talk of a, a jubilee. And some of you are familiar with this concept, the idea that there wasn't just a Sabbath day, but a Sabbath year every seventh year. And seven times seven, the 50th year was called the year of, the year of jubilee. And God instructed a returning of property. They weren't to farm. And it was really the idea that they were getting at was that there would be justice, God's justice, that would come in and people wouldn't get ahead of themselves in terms of self-interest and self-gain. Um, the prophet Amos reminds those that, uh, who are trampling on the needy, trampling on the poor, they are the same who are forgetting to observe the Sabbath. Huh. So Sabbath tied to care of the least of these. Isaiah 56, if you go there, there's uh, this idea that to be included into God's people, if you were an outsider, if you weren't among the Jews, to be included, what were the two criteria in Isaiah 56 that we see? To, to do justice and to observe the Sabbath, right? And that'd be interesting if that was like, oh, you want to be part of our church? You have to observe Sabbath and you have to act justly. It's not usually like at the top of our list, but it's really interesting to see it there, isn't it? Um, really, really interesting. So, Sabbath begins to invite us into this totally different relationship with time. That's what we see so far in, in the scriptures. Uh, one where we have new eyes. So uh, before we go any further, I, I want to talk a little bit about time. If we're saying Sabbath is this defined unit of time, uh, let's talk about our relationship to time. All right? How do you use time? How do I use time? Uh, is it in balance and harmony with God's plan? Do we have time problems? I was with a family friend recently. I'm sorry, a close friend and, and their family. And uh, as I spent some time with this person, I began to realize that they had a complete inability to stop in any way. You know, constant uh, texting, and they had to hang out with this person, and they were at, a, at one event waiting to go to the next event, and the people they just saw they had to see again. And, um, you know, I hear that parents who their kids come back from college sometimes experience that, right? Just it can't seem to stop at times. Uh, we all deal with this. But I began to realize, because I do think we all deal with this go, go, go thing so much that I began to ask a practical question. Is it really reasonable to talk about a 24-hour time period when, for some of us, the idea of stopping and being for 30 minutes to be present even with others around us for an hour is a task? Um, it's very, very difficult. For this person, it was extremely difficult. And I don't even think they quite realized we are constant at times, consumers of time. A lot of times that, that comes back to, to technology, right? Uh, none of these things are bad, but we need to be mindful of them uh, in and of themselves. You know, you've got, you've got Facebook, for instance, just hit 500 million users. Come on. Huh? All right. We partied at our house. It was a big, big, big milestone. Um, you've, got, uh, you've got online video gaming. You've got iPhone sales, iPhone 4. Come on. Chris, I know, you, I know you like it. Come on. iPhone, all right. Nobody. Text messaging, emails, email. Come on. It's been around since the 90s. 
you've got all these things, um, and at times they can consume us, right? Times they can. Lindell, you were just telling me the amounts of emails you came to practice you have from work and home, and dealing with them. You know, how do you how do you deal with that in balance? It's just a big task. Shane Hips. Uh, uh, suggests in this book, Flickering Pixels, he, he suggests, and I really love this quote, that a lot of the technology we have uh, is what it's doing is it's drawing those who are far away from us a little bit closer, but it's pushing those who are very close to us further away, right? So via Facebook, it's great. I can keep up with my brother who lives in, in Brooklyn. Um, pictures and we're able to keep up, that's great. But sometimes these, these other technologies inhibit me from being present with those who are, are, are right in front of me who are actually physically here. And that's something we're going to have to wrestle with if we, if we really, really want to talk about um, Sabbath practice. I have John put this picture up um, that uh, was recently released. It's actually two pictures. Uh, the BP oil spill, this is a, was a picture that they released of their command center. And I said, I think it's in Houston last service. But then I was like, I don't know that. I just think every command center is in Houston because they're NASA. Um, but it's tough to see, maybe, but the, the one on the, uh, excuse me, the one on the right is the one they released to the media. And what they found out, if you can tell the difference, it's like one of those puzzles, the actual photo, before they photoshopped it, um, on the left has three screens that are empty. And BP decided, before they released this picture of the command center to the, to the media, that they better fill those other screens with something because they want, they want to have the appearance that they're on, on the job 24-7, right? They're doing, they're doing their best. Um, and when they got called, on, called out on it, it was a, a little bit funny, only because for most of us, we're like, what's the big deal? What's, what's the difference? You know, it's not that big a deal. You know, if you give them the benefit of the doubt, BPs, they're trying to do their best. And if the three screens are blank, it doesn't really have anything to do with anything. But they were concerned with the image that there was any rest, any break, any stoppage because it's such a massive environmental disaster that they want to be on the job all the time, right? And so we see a photo like this and we can say, well, that's good for BP. You know, we do want them on the job out there. We do want them doing the work that needs to be done. But sometimes we have this, we try and apply this Photoshop mentality to our own lives. We can't turn one screen off. We can't have the appearance that we aren't going, right? And we aren't the BP oil cleanup. <laughs> we shouldn't try and be, right? Um, Dan Allender talks about this relationship to time, and he says this. Many people experience time as an unruly mess that is often out of control. We need time as if God had not allotted to us all that we were meant to have. We make time as if we had the power to create it. We steal time as if we could add more to our lives. We spend and use time as if it were really a commodity. We chafe at the idea that time is not under our control. Do you, do you chafe at that idea? Do you, do you resent the idea that, no, I, I manage my time, faithfully even? Are you unable to stop work in certain areas in your life? You know, Sabbath, Sabbath comes into opposition of this mentality. Sabbath is a sanctuary within time. Todd's back next week teaching on God's Word, the Bible. And um, I remember when I started picking up the Bible in high school and really tried digging into the faith, one of the first verses I memorized, because it was so easy, was uh, Psalm 4610. And I didn't just memorize, I internalized. And I only memorized the first part. Be still, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. There's times I need to hear that again and again. That's one that I, I continually at times have to speak to myself. Be still, just 
know that I know that he is God. You cannot possibly do it all. We, uh, some of us young adults, do some work uh, with an organization called Safe House in, in Denver. They work with uh, victims of domestic abuse and violence, and it's a home for the moms who are in transition and their kids. And uh, one of the things that I was down there recently, and I was thinking, you know, what, what, what is it we're doing? Because when we go, we spend time with the kids so that the moms can have their group meetings and, and do other things. We spend time with the kids, and it's often just traumatic stories and just ch different, different challenges uh, that you're met with. And I asked myself, what are we doing here? What are we doing at Safe House? What am I doing at Safe House? And as I was thinking of Sabbath, I was like, this is what we're really doing is we're creating rest. We're cr creating a, a moment of rest for these moms who have not had any rest. They've barely made it. They're, they've just been suffering, and they've just been holding on to keep, keep it together for their children. And we are allowing them just a window, just a moment of rest. And I always pray that it's a holy time for them. Um, so, how might you practice? How might I practice Sabbath? This is a good question to ask. Actually, before I get this, I'm sorry. Bouncing ahead here. Um, let's talk about Jesus. Whoop, don't want to miss the Jesus section. That would, that would have been a bad page to go over. <laughs> So you didn't talk about Jesus. Um, so let's get to Jesus. And, you know, we, we may, may imagine after we read this Old Testament stuff that, uh, you know, Jesus, he's going to be like the rule keeper on this, on this baby. He's going to have a down Sabbath practice. So there's several instances where we see Jesus in Sabbath, and we're just going to highlight a few that may show us something. Because in, in every way, as always, Jesus can surprise us. So the first we're going to do is uh, Jesus observing Sabbath and the announcement he made on Sabbath both significant in, in Luke 4. And we're going to start uh, in verse 16 and, and see what Jesus was up to on the Sabbath. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah, again, was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then here it gets really good. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Unbelievable. So here on the Sabbath, Jesus in many ways encapsulates what he's about, what he's come for. Oh, the year of the Lord's favor? Jubilee, right? It's a little mention of Jubilee. But what, what do we hear in this passage? Healing and wholeness with the broken. Rest for the weary freedom, recovery of sight. We, we get a picture almost of the Sabbath rest maybe Jesus was talking about. But let's see Jesus on another Sabbath where he's sh shocking people again. Mark uh, chapter 2, 23. Through 28. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. His disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. Well, what's the big deal? Picking some food on the Sabbath? I think we just read that in Exodus 16, right? Not a good idea. I think God said, don't do that. You don't be picking the food on the Sabbath. And so what do the Pharisees say? Verse 24, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, my favorite high priest... He entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. 
And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. A lot there, but just focus in on the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Pharisees were trying to weigh down a Sabbath rule. Jesus is saying there was a time of need when they ate the bread. You're, you're, You're making this out of pure obligation. The Sabbath was made for man. But maybe most important of what we hear from Jesus is a statement many of us have heard that he makes in the 11th chapter of Matthew. He says, come to me, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest. So Jesus is doing much more than showing what Sabbath practice might be like. He is staying, he is Sabbath. He is, he is the rest that we are seeking, right? So simply put, right, Jesus is the source of rest. And Sabbath will involve efforts to share our burdens with Jesus and to seek rest in him. That, that verse in Matthew is sweet because it comes right on the heels of this place where Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God coming to children, right? And uh, I got a little lesson from my child, from my son this week, as we were driving, again, my, my seven-year-old, Elijah. We were driving, and I have a little disease called forget things, um, the big three, keys, wallet, uh, cell phone. Most of you who know me know I'm usually missing one of those three. Um, It's genetic, unfortunately. My my father and his father before him had it. Um, And I'm glad this is a safe place for me to talk about it. But um, Elijah and I left the house, and we got a mile down the road, and I'd forgotten my phone and a Costco card because we were trying to go to Costco. And uh, so we pulled the U-turn, and uh, Elijah's like, what are we doing? I I forgot my phone pause for a sec. Elijah said, you know, Dad, you don't always need your phone. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, I mean, maybe if there's an emergency, but you don't always need your phone. And uh, as much as I, the truth is, is, you should see my phone. It's so sweet. It's like a little uh, lame phone. I covet the iPhone, but I do not have one yet. Um, so, but it's funny that despite that, Elijah's saying, you don't, you don't need it. And I said, you know, Elijah, he's teaching me, right? the armrest. Uh, he's teaching me, Dad, you don't, you don't need it. And I said, you know, Elijah, you're right. We don't always need those things. I said, it's best when we're together if we can make space to turn off those things and just be with each other, right? And he's like, yeah. And then pause for a second. He's like, you know, Annika's, Annika's our four-year-old. Annika's going to really need to learn that. And it's uh, <laughs> like, what are you talking about, Elijah? Annika doesn't have a phone. And he's like, yeah, well, when she's six. Uh, she's going to need to learn. It's like, <laughs> the timelines in their heads sometimes. But he was t- telling me, you know, even, even as a kid, the wisdom of, Tad, we, we don't always need these things. Um, we think we do, but we don't. So how might you and I uh, practice Sabbath? We're invited, I think. Uh, here's the thing. When we read the scriptures, we don't get like a, a dummy's guide for Sabbath. We don't get a 10-point program on how to practice Sabbath here and now. We get the commandments. We see God's people doing it over time, but it evolves over time, even in the scriptures. So it's not quite simple. And what, what I'd like to suggest is that we're invited to imagine together with God what Sabbath practice might look like. And I, I'm going to let you in a little bit on my own um, my own path to figure that out. And I'm going to suggest a few ideas based on the themes we get out of, out of the scriptures, okay? So Cassie and I started talking, my wife Cassie, about as I was kind of just, my eyes were being open to new things. What could Sabbath look like for us? And uh, we really believe in the, the concept of Sabbath. You know, occasionally, really a day of just maybe rest or quiet time or these kinds of things, but I don't think we've ever intentionally gone after like, okay, what would Sabbath 
uh, really look like? Um, what would a more rich practice of this be for us? So there's some keys for us that may not be yours, but I'll just let you in on some things we had to wrestle with. Uh, we have young kids. We have three young kids, age two, four, and seven. If you've had young kids, you know the schedule. I was just talking to someone before service about the schedule you have when you have these many kids. Um, it can be a lot. It can be constant go, go, go versus other phases in life. It's just a lot. So we had to, one, say, how could this realistically happen with, with kids? And, and two, we are asking questions. How can this be an opportunity to invite our kids into what our faith is about? How can this be something we involve them in, in some, at least in a small way? Start, started to look at that together, all right? Uh, s- second thing, Cassie has a new job teaching down in uh, Denver in the fall, uh, kindergarten, and she's very excited, but it's going to be a lot um, for schedule-wise. Some of you moms that went back to work when you had young kids know the challenges there. So uh, f- it, 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 at first glance for her, it's like, ah, is, this, is this realistic? If we want it, how, how can we negotiate this part of our schedule? Again, it's all questions of time. It's all questions of our relationship to time. Um, a third thing for us is we talk about the day of Sabbath, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday is not going to be our Sabbath, guaranteed. For us, why? Well, we both are in church work. It's just not, it's not going to happen. It may well work for you. It may not work for you for other reasons. For us, the idea of Sabbath is not going to happen on Sunday. So we started looking at Saturday. What could Saturday be? Um, another thing is we don't want to bite off more than we can chew or eat or whatever that phrase is. So for us... Again, 24 hours, uh, is this realistically going to happen? Let's not just say we're going to do 24 hours for the rest of our lives till we die, so help us God, because it's not going to happen. It's usually not going to happen. So we're saying, how can we set aside a portion of this day, realistically, to start, that is set aside, that can even be flexible on where, where it sits? So we, we started to uh, look at that. And we also said, let's, let's do this for a month, and uh, then let's come back to it and see what we need to adjust, adapt to be flexible. We have to be willing to fail at these practices, right? And, and try again and these kinds of things. Those are some questions that we had to ask. And I think the worst thing is to get legalistic. If it's simply an obligation, don't go down that road. And if you start saying, well, it has to be Saturday, or we definitely can't do this, or those are going to be the wrong questions to ask. A few themes, that we've, some of them we've already suggested that I hope can spark something in you. We'll just go over these kind of to close. Um, in the next few minutes. Sabbath is a call, okay? Sabbath is a call to several things, and a few that, point, that uh, were revealed to me uh, that I saw. Sabbath is a call to joy, okay? Most of us think more of it being a duty and, and, and something we have to do, but what of joy? Dan Allender asked this question. What, what would I do with a 24-hour period of time if the only criteria were to pursue my deepest joy? Think about that. Now, before you think, oh, sweet, I'll just hang out and watch ESPN, or we'll just do YouTube videos, or I'll overwork, because that's what I like to do, or, you know, I'll, I don't know what you do, I'll build. Some of us are builders. Um, I think we have to think a little deeper. We're talking about what stirs our soul, what reminds us of the ultimate source of joy that is God. I mean, I can't paint that picture for you. Uh, it may be something artistic. Um, it may be fishing. That's Dan Allender's thing. Uh, maybe intimacy with a spouse. Um, Really, the, the opposite of a call to joy is a call to worry, a call, a call to fear. Worry is the anti-Sabbath, and we spend a lot of time worrying. And Sabbath, if we try and practice, it shouldn't be a day where we are consumed in worry at all. What brings you joy? Sabbath is a call to remember. Right? We, are, we already discussed this. It's clear in the text. Remember, remember, again and again, God says. How do you remember? Maybe it's through storytelling. I was seeing some of the high school groups here. They were here first service. 
the high school youth group, all these things, it's constantly the sharing stories, uh, fun, funny stories, but also stories of what God did and God is doing and just open discussion. And so naturally when these groups, junior high too, spend time together, there's a remembering that's happening of what God does. And that happens in other places in the church too. I think you see it a lot, especially with youth, remembering, spiritual nostalgia, we could call it, intentional conversation, certainly prayer. For me, where, where's the place that I remember well? In our prayer garden. And I won't go into all the story of that. If you don't know, we have a prayer garden on the field, 15 trees we planted after Columbine, two of which were cut down on a morning uh, in the service. And uh, it's a place I go and I, every time. I remember. I remember what God did in that moment, how God was with us, what God showed me, the radical forgiveness he taught me. Oh, I remember. I remember. And you have to find a place like that. We each do. Sabbath is a call to worship. Now, that's a word we use a lot. It's really worship is intentionally directing our full attention to God. So this could happen in a variety of ways. It may be time in creation, I think, is, is huge. Going on a walk or a simple bike ride, listening to songs, singing songs together. That's worship when we come together, certainly. Um, worship, finding ways to do that. Sabbath is a call to rest. How will we find genuine rest? We've already talked about how a lot of our pace a lot of our frenzy works against the idea of genuine and sincere rest. Not just a day where we get to have a nap, but rest, spiritual rest. That may mean turning the TV off. That may mean shutting down Facebook instant chat for a few hours. That may, be, that may mean not do, dealing with the bills today or dealing with the house chores or not studying or turning your phone off for a period of time. Where can you make space? Because if, if you can't make space, how, how will God meet you in that time? If your time is filled by what you put in it, it there's no room. We have, we have to make room in order for us to be entering into rest. Last, Sabbath is a call to community, right? This is something we, we, we maybe individually say, I want to practice. But sincerely, like for me, my wife, Cassie, of course, I started exploring what Sabbath looked like with her. Discussion, dialogue, working it out. If you're not married, a, a good friend, if it's something interesting, sit down with people you know and explore that. But Sabbath should also be marked by community and relationships. You know, in the Jewish tradition, it's uh, shared meals, uh, often a, a festive meal. Often, though, in that tradition, they prepare the, the meal before Sabbath so that Sabbath isn't consumed with the labor of, 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 of prep. Um, uninhibited, un, uninhibited presence with your loved ones. A lot of our weeks are... are um, conversations uh, about what needs to be done and what has to be said. But we, we sometimes don't go deeper with that. Over time, we get into just routines with our family. W what, if, what if Sabbath became a place where we're going to go deeper in conversation? We're going to sincerely pursue our kids with questions, and, and we're not going to accept like, them being quiet. We're going like, to gonna, we're gonna chat. We're going to hang out. We're going to have fun. How about play on Sabbath? A lot of ideas. What I would really encourage in all these is that you find some repeated symbols, rituals, actions that you can develop and own by yourself. You know, I can't impose them on you. If you don't have a desire to, then that's fine. Wait. I was pointing out in first service, um, and Katie, Katie has taught me a lot on Sabbath as well, but uh, even, even more so is first service, uh, Dana Christensen was here, who was just an incredible, incredible man. Um, and years ago, when I was a young leader, Dana Christensen was an elder. He continually was dropping seeds and ideas about Sabbath. He was very faithful to the idea of what rest would look like as a, as a believer, as a leader. He had incredible wisdom, and I, I soaked it up. But in many ways, it, it took years for me to decide to really enter into some of the practices he would talk to me about. 
And that's okay. At times it's a process for us to get to that place. And you shouldn't do any of this out of obligation. Um, Sabbath practice should be the special presence of some things and uh, the intentional absence of other things. So you have to make a plan. A few more, a few more quotes from, or thoughts from one of my favorites, uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel, great name, uh, really well-known Jewish theologian in the 20th century. He, he, he had a, has a whole book on Sabbath, but he said that the old rabbis would liken the Sabbath to a bride or a queen, um, rather because the day to them wasn't just a space of time. It was a real presence. It was like Sabbath is coming. A person's presence is coming to be with us. Um, and he also said this. I'm going to give you one more thought to chew on. This is the, this is the meat of the morning from, from Honest Abe. This is what he says about Sabbath. The meaning of the Sabbath is to celebrate time rather than space. Six days a week, we live under the tyranny of things of space. On the Sabbath, we try to become attuned to holiness in time. It is a day on which we are called upon to share in what is eternal in time, to turn from the results of creation to the mystery of creation, from the world of creation to the creation of the world. And that's a pretty cool quote. And the only way to make it cooler is for you to see a picture of Joshua Heschel. How cool is that guy, right? That's not who you were picturing. That's the guy that said that. My favorite part about this picture is that the beard stops beyond the picture. And who knows... Who knows how long that beard goes? It could be feet, meters, miles, who knows? But you know that guy's got something to say, and uh, he does have something to say. I was telling a story, some, some of you high schoolers are here, or that would have been on this trip. Chad, you might have been there, and, um, oh, Ali, you might have been there. One year we went to Block at the Orange, and a few of you guys over here. Ryan, you remember this. Uh, Block at the Orange is this mall in Orange County, California, uh, Ryan's, Ryan's second love. Um, and it's this huge outdoor mall that we take the youth group to on trips out there, and uh, hundreds of people moving around, lots of noise, lots of energy, lots of fun, restaurants, stores, the whole thing. And one year we went there and we got off the bus. I don't know if you remember this, uh, but we, we got off the bus, and there was hundreds of people, but it was totally silent. And we are trying to figure out what was going on at, at the block, because it's always lots of noise. And uh, we quickly figured out everybody there was at the front was deaf, it was like some convention or meeting of the deaf community, and they were all using sign language. So it was kind of like going into slow motion because everyone that was deaf and used sign language obviously wasn't making any noise, and then everybody that wasn't deaf was just so like trying to figure out what was going on that they were dead silent too. So the experience of being around hundreds and hundreds of people in a public place, but it's silent enough for a pin to drop, is a little bit crazy. Uh, you suddenly just, you're in a new surrounding, and everything just feels different. Like I said, it's like going into to slow motion. You notice everything differently. And to me, that's a suggestion of what the Sabbath should look like. It should be, when we enter into Sabbath, genuinely, it should be, we're entering into a whole different kind of space where our awareness of our surroundings, our awareness of where we are, our awareness of the things that we're with, and all that is completely altered. Um, And that's found in, in, in coming to God in finding our rest in him, all right? Two last things, just a few resources. One, the creative worship space, which has been open the last few Wednesdays. This is the last week it will be open in the Youth Building Chapel. I'd highly recommend if you haven't been over there, those who've been over there um, have really uh, found it meaningful. Uh, It's an open house. You can come for a few minutes. You can come for an hour, and it will be open this Wednesday, so mark your time to come to that. Also, a few books. Oh, the Deep End Journals. How many of you have those journals we've passed out? Um, if you don't, we've had these journals to go along with this, these weeks where we've been studying the disciplines. They're available out front. You can just grab one. They're a great resource if you'd like to write and reflect. And lastly, a few books that I 
would recommend if you want to go further with Sabbath. I read this book by Dan Allender. Uh, incredible. Really opened my eyes in a new way. Dan Allender used to be a counseling at CCU guy. He's now at Marshall Graduate School. A lot of you know Shauna Gothier and uh, Krista Law. Um, went to Marshall Graduate School to do their counseling work. That's Dan Allender, his book, Sabbath. Uh, secondly, uh, Mudhouse Sabbath by Lauren Winter. I haven't read this whole book, but I've read some of it, and I've heard a lot of Lauren's thoughts on Sabbath. She's outstanding. She came out of an Orthodox Jewish tradition, became a Christian, and it's a reflection on uh, the Jewishness of Sabbath. Uh, and lastly, I mentioned old Abe, Joshua Heschel, the crazy beard. Um, he has a book called Sabbath, which is also outstanding. So those are a few little extra resources. All right? Um, I encourage you to just hop in. Hop into that pool. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for your word, which just informs us in so many ways. I, I pray for each person here that there is some spark. Um, in, in no way do we want Sabbath to become an obligation that is simply done, done drudgingly. We don't, want, we don't even want to do it. I pray instead that we, we could have new eyes for what Sabbath rest might genuinely look like, that you call us into those themes that we see in your scripture and that you would help us um, to imagine together with you, God, what uh, Sabbath practice could look like. We thank you that we have a community that is seeking after you. Um, we pray that more and more, Father, we would find your rest, know your love, and uh, reflect that back to one another. Thank you, God, for these things in your name. Amen. All right, West Bulls, have a great and fabulous Sunday.